0: And now for the show reflecting on classic radio Hollywood 360 with
1: your host, Carl Amari. Who's
2: that strange looking man behind you? That's Carl. Cool. I met him at the laundry, man.
1: Sam, sweetheart.
2: I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Benger.
3: This is not good. It tends
1: to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits.
4: Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> guys, guys, guys. Fellas, did we could
0: listen to the radio or something? Hello
4: I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co host is the proficient Lisa Wolf. In this hour, it's a detective episode of Nero Wolf. That's Lisa's great uncle. And it stars Sydney Greenstreet from 1951. But it's time now for Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? The Music Edition. Lisa will play clips from famous songs and provide a statement about each song. My job is to guess if that statement is real. Or if it's ridiculous, while well, you play along at home, right, Lisa?
5: That's right, Carl. It's a lot of fun. We get to learn something about some songs, hear some great music, and in this case, One Hit Wonders. And I All know right. last week we did uh, what I call bad songs. I know we had a little bit of a difference, in um, opinion on that, but so many people seem to love the bad song idea. Uh, so I will do another segment of Bad Songs next week. I can't so we can wait. look forward to that. But wait. for today, it's One Hit Wonders. We're going to start with this song.
4: The boys are back in town.
5: That's right. The boys are back in town. Thin Lizzy,
4: 1976.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Great
5: tune.
4: Great song. I agree. This would not be in I your chose bad it. songs No, these are all category. great songs. This is a great song. The boys are back I in town. we don't always
5: agree, but most of the, the time. The boys are back. Always <laughs> back in town. All right, you ready for your statement? All right,
4: I'm ready. I'm ready for the statement.
5: Okay, this song is used in a TV commercial for the Olive Garden.
4: Real the or ridiculous? Olive Garden. Mm-hmm. Um, no, nope. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say ridiculous.
5: All right, let's play a clip and see what it is.
0: Applebee's all you can eat
4: is all back.
5: Right. Applebee's. So you are right. It is ridiculous. Um, I don't know. Somehow we, I equated Applebee's with Olive Garden. I'm
4: on a roll. <laughs> so
5: far, so good. All right. Let's hear the next.
4: So you know Great. what I am if I'm on a roll? You're I'm right. Butter. I'm butter. Okay.
5: Um, anyhow, <laughs> the next. Or <Poor> margarine. <laughs>
4: not <I> take butter. <laughs>
5: Uh, the uh, the next song which is another one hit wonder is another great tune if i might say so myself Jenny Jenny,
4: Jenny, Jenny. what can i you? This is Tommy Tutone
5: It is 1981 I'm It's
4: called Jenny or 867530999 like be before On
5: the wall. Bring back some memories for you.
4: Jerry, I got
5: your number. I'll take that if I need
4: to make you mine. I need to take <laughs> your number.
5: Alright, you ready? Yeah. Suzanne Summers used this song for her Thigh Master workout videos.
4: True. Real, Real. or ridiculous? Real. 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 Right, let's
5: hear the clip and figure it out. Real. Next are the torn up pull-ups. This exercise is extremely is that effective that? for this you. This be Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is. This is for his total Uh, uh, body uh, workout (laughs) video.
4: Well, you know, Suzanne Suzanne Somers used it too. She She
5: did not because I was very careful when I do that to make sure I'm going to call Suzanne Somers. You should give her a call, but I... Yeah. Now I'm gonna call her up. See
4: Let see if she used it.
5: Well, Don't let your legs this is do definitely that. an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, I'll video. I'll be back and I'll <laughs> yes, play Tommy <laughs> Two
4: Tone for you.
5: He has a total body Let's workout video. Let's do it with Jenny.
4: All Two. right. I missed that Three. one.
5: Yep. Four. But you said and with four. such confidence. Four. I know his voice. Six. Right.
4: Six. His four.
5: Seven.
4: All right. So All right. One, uh, one and one.
5: All right. Here's the next song. Oh.
4: mm mm-hmm. It's all right,
5: all right, girl. There
4: it is. You can hurt me. All right, all right,
5: so this is called "But It's All Right" by JJ Jackson, 1966. Wow. One hit wonder.
4: 1966.
5: Uh, here's your statement. Man,
4: I was three and you were two.
5: Thanks for reminding me of that.
4: Yeah, I want everyone to know that.
5: There's
4: no secrets around here. No secrets around here. (laughs) I'm (laughs) aware
5: of that. So here's your statement. All right. Elton John released his version of "But It's All Right" in 1994. Real or ridiculous?
4: Um, I'm gonna say real.
5: I think it's real. Let's hear it. Figure it out. That's definitely not Elton John. That's not. I just made that one up. See if you can figure it out.
4: All
5: right. You, you know him.
4: Hang on.
5: You're not personally.
0: He's
4: got a great voice. Doesn't he? It is, man. Man, that guy, whoever it is, got a great voice. This
5: is Huey Lewis.
4: Oh, man. At the news. I love Huey Lewis.
5: I know. So. Um, I'm sorry, Elton John did not release it, but Huey Lewis and the News did. Wow.
4: So, Listen to that voice. You know? I think
5: this sounds even better than the original J.J. Jackson. Man.
4: I mean, Huey Lewis. Wow. Here he he is. had some big hits, man. Yes. He had a lot of hits.
5: Maybe I'll do a Huey Lewis
4: Yeah, Huey Lewis and the News. That too. Wow. I'll do that. All right.
5: All right. So got,
4: hang on, I missed that you definitely one missed that. Jeez. You've got one more to go. It started out great. Yeah, well, you know? that was just the first one. Like I'm not a good closer, I, I guess. No, you're
5: not the closer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's your last song. All right. Another one-hit wonder.
0: Got on board a westbound oh.
5: 747
2: <laughs> Didn't think before deciding what to do What to do <laughs> Oh, that talk of opportunities, TV breaks and movies,
1: playing true, sure and true,
4: seems like yeah. never rains in Southern California, seems like,
5: oh, <laughs> I don't know the words either.
4: I know the one, the I one, just, the
5: Wait, one I know second. this part. It never
4: rains in California, but
5: girls don't, they warn ya, it pours, man it pours. So man, this it is pours. It, ne- <laughs> it Never Rains in Southern California by Albert Hammond, 1972.
4: I remember this song being used in a, in a TV commercial. And I can tell you what TV commercial it was, what too. What was it? Does that have anything to do with what you're about to say? No, it doesn't. So oh, because it was used in, in a Morton Salt commercial. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
5: But that's not well, That's right. not it. I wish so. it was. I <laughs> bet you do. So in 1989,
4: yeah. Albert
5: Hammond himself re-recorded and made an updated version of this song. Yeah. Yes or no, true or real or ridiculous. I'll say real. Yeah? Yeah. All right, let's hear it and see if uh, you're right or not. Mm. That's Albert Hammond, and this is his updated version. Never well, he, he figures, you know, I got one hit. Got a hit? Let's try I, it let's, again. Let's
4: redo it. I mean, you know, I would do it's, the same thing. <laughs>
5: of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep reinventing. I, I'm like, I still sound good. I'm going <laughs> to redo it. It's got a little more pep in it.
4: Alright, so I what did I get? You
5: got two out of four. That's good. You got a fifty I mean, percent. Me, that's good. for you? That's pretty that's good. great. Never rains in southern. Different feel. California. I do prefer the original. Alright,
4: thanks, Lisa. Thanks, great great Carl, job. Lot of Thank fun. you. When we come back, it's your great uncle, Nero Wolf. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these
1: important
3: messages.
4: And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Yes, indeed. It is time now for Nero Wolf, a detective series that came to radio first in 1943. And uh, Nero Wolf was a gargantuan gourmet uh, detective. He was created by Rex Stout. And the very first um, actor to play the obese detective was J.B. Williams. But then Santos Ortega, later Louis Van Ruten played the part. But it really didn't catch on, at least. It didn't catch on on radio that well. Uh, even though Nero Wolfe solved crimes with an attention to detail that rivaled the great Sherlock Holmes and Wolf refused to leave his elegant brownstone on business, sending his assistant Archie Goodwin out to do his legwork. You know, he's a big, you know, big guy, and he was just smelling um, his orchids all day long and cooking food and that. Um, He didn't really, he wasn't that interested in solving crimes. So um, it didn't really catch on on radio until, until Sidney Greenstreet was cast in a series uh, on NBC that began in 1950. Now, that only lasted one season, but it was really a tremendous series, as you're about to hear, because we have a broadcast from February 2nd, 1951, called The Case of the Vanishing Shells. This is A-plus radio, Lisa. Take a listen to Sidney Greenstreet now in The New Adventures of Nero Wolfe.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure.
1: Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Mr. Wolf? No, he isn't. Huh? Oh, well, for you, maybe he is. I'm not here. Oh, yes, yeah, he's always here. I've gone out. No, no, he seldom ever goes out. I won't start on anything tonight. Oh, sure, he'd love to start on a case tonight. What's your name? Oh, that's a beautiful name. Address? Archie, it's another woman hang-up. No, 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 honest. I'm not Mr. Wolf, but I'm his agent. Yeah, I'll be right over, miss. Goodbye.
3: What's her trouble?
1: Where are you going? Well, she said she's received some threatening notes and she's afraid to leave her hotel. So long, boss. Oh.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's that genius who is the bulkiest, bulkiest, most ponderous and most brilliant detective in the world. He none other than that chair mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolfe, created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. <laughs>
1: prefer to call tonight's story the case of the vanishing shells. It didn't seem to be difficult at first, but, well, I'm not a stupid individual, but so often, oh, so often I allow myself to become mesmerized by beautiful women. Hey, heaven bless them. Doris Murray was such a woman. She phoned us first late one afternoon about five o'clock, then again at 5.30.
2: Very well, Mr. Goodwin, but I, I would prefer to see Mr. Wolfe. Well, I said I'd be there at 6, Miss Moray. I don't want to talk any longer on the phone. Please hurry. There... There's someone at the door.
1: I'll see you in the cocktail lounge at your hotel.
2: At 6 o'clock. That's half an hour. Don't fail. Who is it?
3: Emil hey,
5: Stoner.
2: Oh, come in, Emil. You got my call, darling. Here, let me take your briefcase.
1: I, I, I'll just put it here on the piano, Doris.
2: Oh, I'm terribly upset about those threatening notes, darling. I I know it's upset you, too, but I'm determined to find out who it is. I'm not going to let them bluff me out of my first chance to play the star part in one of your shows. But look, Doris, there's that other part. Other Is that all I mean to you? Well, what can they divulge that'll harm us? What?
1: Several things. And I can't afford her. I mean, at this time... You're
2: frightened, Amo.
1: Doris, I'm going to give the star part to Paula.
2: Paula! You've been divorced for four years. Why?
3: Because I feel she can... Can play it
2: better. Is that what you're going to say? Well, I can act rings around her. Now,
3: now, now, look, Doris. I know it's a big disappointment to you, but...
2: that's the way it is. Get out. Get out! Go on across the hall to Paula. Give her the part. Louse up your show. She and that playwright of hers. Get out, Emil. But don't it... You frightened little get out!
1: I believe, Mr. Wolf, you're making a great mistake in not
3: coming along. Indy. I'm sure that what attracts you could not possibly be of interest to me. A gal needs help. Money is money. Girls, money. Fui.
1: Yeah, well, we could have dinner out for a change. They have one of the finest chefs in town at that hotel.
3: You're most impolite. I'm trying to read this book.
1: Poetry. Archie. Uh, yes, sir?
3: Shut up.
1: Uh, uh, but we need money. That filthy green cabbage is necessary to our existence. This may be a tough case, you know. I.
3: You're sufficiently intelligent. Sometimes.
1: Mm. If I sat around like you do, I'd weigh 500 pounds, too.
3: Archie, leave the room. Besides, it's only 300. Three hundred.
1: What a way to run a business. Orchids, beer, books.
3: (laughs) Don't keep the charming client waiting.
1: Okay, I'm going, I'm going.
3: And always remember, there is a telephone.
1: Thank you, waiter. Oh, good evening, Miss Moray. I'm Archie Goodwin.
2: Well, I didn't expect... (sighs) I mean, please sit down.
1: Well, I think I should explain the absence of Nero Wolfe. <laughs> there's, uh, there's so much of him that it's not too convenient to transport it about. I do all the outside work.
2: And I'm sure you do it well. Uh,
1: Mr. Well, you know, some women call me Goodwin and some call me Mr. Goodwin. And
2: uh,
1: yes. uh, the unattached call me Archie.
2: Hello, Archie. Oh,
1: splendid. I'm glad to hear it. Now we can get right down to the nasty old business that's troubling you, Doris. But first, here's
2: the 500 retainer fee.
1: Well, you thank you. Now, what's the note about? Well,
2: there are two notes, both printed by hand. Uh-huh.
1: Oh, will you hand me my purse, please? Oh, sure. Thank you. Ah, I see. Doris Moray. If you fail to withdraw from the cast of Stoner's next production by start of rehearsals Monday, both you and Stoner will have a blasted reputation and perhaps other injuries from which you will be unable to recover. But the
2: other one is like it, only more vehement.
1: Yeah, well, someone or a group of someones are intent on keeping you out of Stoner's shows, huh? It's too bad. His next one is said to be a sure smash hit and a star-making part for the leading woman.
2: Yes, Emil Stoner wants me to play it. He's been planning on it ever since David Banning wrote the play. What
1: does David Banning think of your playing the part?
2: Well, I, I don't think he's too enthused about it. You see, Mr. Stoner and Paula Kenyon have been divorced for four years, but she has continued to be his top leading woman. Now she's engaged to David Banning, who wrote this play. Oh,
1: makes things a bit difficult.
2: Well, of course, Rick Hunter, Stoner's director, is... Hunter's somewhat
1: in favor of your playing the part.
2: Well, Rick Hunter is very fond of my work.
1: And very fond of you as well, huh?
2: Yes, unfortunately. I... I like Rick Hunter tremendously, but Emil Stoner has been of greater interest to me. In fact, we're more or less engaged, Mr. Goodwin.
1: Oh, well, had any words lately with the ex-Mrs. Stoner, Paula Canyon? Is that her name?
2: Paula and I were great friends when I first joined the Stoner Productions, but I don't know, she... I don't think she appreciated the fact that Mr. Stoner and Rick Hunter, the director, took such an interest in me.
1: Tell me, did you ever think you were in love with Rick Hunter?
2: Yes. At first, I was thrilled by his artistic imagination. And then as time went on, I realized that he was subject oh. to melancholia. Mr. Stoner was more stable, and I needed someone older to advise me. Oh, well,
1: what's wrong with your reputation of Mr. Stoner's?
2: Well, there's nothing I fear, but I'm afraid Mr. Stoner is somewhat disturbed by these threats. He... He feels there's something in his past of sufficient import to really harm him. I, I think it's nonsense.
1: Well, then what we have to do is uncover this person of persons before you end up with ruined careers on Broadway. Where does the ex-Mrs. Stoner live?
2: Well, as a matter of fact, she lives just down the hall from me. Lived here for years.
1: Oh, well, I think it's advisable, honey, that you stay close to your room until we solve this thing.
2: Oh, but I'm not afraid for my life, Archie.
1: No? Well, I am. I'll see you into your room, Doris. Oh,
2: now, please, Mr. Goodwin, if you... Oh,
1: you you don't trust the boy, huh? Well, I... Such beautiful eyes. Oh, I... Lovely red hair. You could have the lead in my new play. I never wrote one, but for you, I'll try anything. Come along. Here's your bag. Well, hello, Doris.
2: Oh, hello, Rick. Mr. Goodwin, this is Rick Hunter. Hiya,
1: Hunter. Nice shows you've been putting on. I've just been admiring your work, Goodwin. Hey, oh, well, that's nice. I'm glad. Nothing like encouragement for a beginner, Mr. Hunter? You're ready for the big time from what I saw. Heard from Emil Stoner today, Doris?
2: I talked to him once this morning. Uh, have you been sitting in the cocktail lounge all afternoon?
1: Yeah. <laughs> that I have, honey. I want to see you play that lead, baby. And I think I just about got it all settled.
2: Dreaming about it won't settle it. Liquor never accomplished anything in itself, Rick. Come on, Mr. Goodwin.
1: He's a very jealous man, Doris. In fact, right now, I can feel his thoughts piercing me between the shoulder blades. (laughs) Oh, excuse me, here's a phone. Yes, Archie? How do you know it's Archie?
3: I felt the time was exactly right for you to call.
1: to earn some money.
3: Is this a worthwhile case?
1: Well, she's a beautiful redhead, and...
3: uh, That, of course, makes it very worthwhile. Yeah,
1: well, I got 500 as a retainer.
3: Fooey, a pittance, and probably all you'll ever get. What do
1: you mean by that?
3: She's probably guilty. Now, look, boss, she's the victim. Received notes threatening her reputation
1: and her health if she plays the star part in Emil Stoner's new production. Also, they threatened Emil Stoner likewise. The playwright, Dave Banning, is engaged to Paula Kenyon. Incidentally, she lives here at the hotel, too, just down the hall from Doris.
3: I remember her. And the playwright wants Paula Kenyon to play the part. Well, Archie, you have only the beginning. It is probably too late to prevent whatever is going to happen. Like what, for instance? Have you found a body yet? Call me after you find the body.
1: What body? There's no body.
3: But there will be, Archie. There's always a body where you are concerned. Either a body beautiful or a dead one. Bye. (laughs)
4: All right. There's always a body, Lisa. I know. Yeah, either a body beautiful or a a dead one. Oh, yeah, a
5: dead
4: one. (laughs) That's Sidney Greenstreet there. Uh, Gerald Moore, a great actor in a ton of radio shows, was playing Archie Goodwin on this particular episode. And uh, Gerald Moore, probably best known as Philip Marlowe on radio. He was um, Philip Marlowe's... Um, He was uh, Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe on radio and um, was on a ton of like The Whistler and Escape and Suspense and did a ton of stuff. Um, He's got that deep baritone voice and he's doing a great job in the case of The Vanishing Shells, February 2nd, 1951 on The New Adventures of Nero Wolfe. And we'll get right back to it. Stick around. Hi, Carl Amari here. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and Burns and Allen, consider becoming a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows in superior sound quality, along with historical liner notes and photos of their radio stars. The 10 shows I'll send you will be on 5 CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. Members also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full 5-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30 minute radio rarities podcast that lisa wolf and i co-host the digital links never expire so you can listen to hollywood 360 and radio rarities whenever you'd like in total you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month and when you join the classic radio club there's no long-term commitment you can cancel at any time become a classic radio club member at classicradioclub.com that's classicradioclub.com now
0: back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360.
4: Before we get back to Nero Wolf, uh, can we take uh, a little temperature on our debate question, Lisa? Yes,
5: we've got um, a bunch of posts and quite a few messages on our Facebook page. and um,
4: The question is, do you tip your server when you go to when a... When you are
5: invited to a wedding right, as when you're, a guest. Right, when you're so, sitting around
4: the table with a bunch of other people and your server is serving you, do you tip <laughs> that person? Serving you. I say, yes, you do tip that person. Uh, Lisa I says, say, no, you don't.
5: I, I say, look, it's always nice to be generous and kind to others, but is it necessarily expected um, that you do that? And I said, no. Um, so I think what we found is that there are some people that do, most people that don't. Many people said only the bartender. Mm-hmm. So, so um, would, there seems to, to be no, I would say 40% said yes, 60% okay. said 40% no.
4: 40% said yes. So 40%. Right, it's not
5: outlandish and not inappropriate, just not necessarily. But, but be honest, expected. is that
4: more people than you thought?
5: Absolutely. Okay, um, but All still right. not the majority. My,
4: more people than you thought? Yeah, and that means Carl's maybe
5: not crazy. Yeah. See? Oh no, 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 he is. I crazy. mean,
4: it, you <laughs> know, it's like it, it's just it's a it's a way to say hey, thanks for doing well, a you know a nice when job. When you and...
5: have a lot of money, you can hand <laughs> it out like that. <laughs> Um, yeah. So some people right. have that um, look who's opportunity.
4: Like hey, Mike, look who's talking over here. Yeah, the woman with uh, twelve cars.
5: Right, um, exactly. Or two or jets. Mm-hmm.
4: Maybe the server, you know, doesn't need the two cents that Carl leaves on the table.
5: Yeah, listen, or maybe it's not what you, you leave, had a lousy server, and they didn't do a good job, and never came back, well, and, look, if and it was a, frustrating. No, if they're a
4: lousy server, I wouldn't. You know.
5: Oh, you yeah. wouldn't do it then. So is no. it based on service, or I mean, is it just based on the situation? If they were
4: like obnoxious, no, they no, wouldn't. not obnoxious. But maybe if, just not attentive. No, I, I would tip them if they were not great. Even. You yeah. still would. Yes, I would. So it's not yeah. based
5: on their performance. Well, their
4: performance, they get a bigger tip. Okay. That's how it works.
5: All right. Well, All right, well it well, must be uh, nice. <laughs> All
4: right, We're listening to uh, Nero Wolf, February 2nd, 1951. Case of the Vanishing Shells. Here's the conclusion.
2: Thanks for seeing me to my room, Archie. Oh,
4: I'm not stopping here, Doris.
1: I'll take a look inside.
2: But I'm
1: not. Oh, I insist. Part of my job, you know. Hey. If I fail to take every precaution, Mr. Wolfe would never... Well, look in that chair.
2: Emil.
1: Emil? Emil Stoner? Uh, uh, oh, three red dots on his shirt front. Uh, 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 Doris, Doris, hold on.
2: I, I'm all right. Yes, I, I'm all
1: right. All right, sit down. That's it. Uh. Now, let's see. The body's still warm. What's this crumpled in his left hand? A horoscope. Between the fingers of his right hand, an unlit cigarette. My grand Pique.
2: Paula Kenyon.
1: This horoscope is for March. Something he picked up from your desk here?
2: I don't believe in astrology.
1: Where'd he get this cigarette with Paula Kenyon's monogram?
2: Poor Emil. Poor Emil. I didn't believe anyone would really harm us. I was was so stubborn. When
1: did you see him last?
2: Please, shouldn't we do something? Call the police? No,
1: no, no, not yet. When did you see him?
2: Why, I I saw him this morning. I'm so shocked I can hardly think clearly. Doris... Yes.
1: There's a briefcase here on the piano with a newspaper on top of it.
2: What? Oh, it, it is, yes. It's it's Emil's. He, he must have left it here this morning.
1: That's strange. Emil Stoner was bald, but... But what? Well, I'm sure he's a man who always wore a hat, but I see no hat.
2: Oh, he must have come up the elevator as I went down to meet you.
1: Who would know he'd come up here? Your director, Rick Hunter, he said he'd been in the bar all afternoon. What else was it, he said? Thought he had everything just about settled. Oh,
2: no, Rick, couldn't. He just... Oh, Mr. Goodwin, I, I couldn't believe
1: that. I can believe anything about anybody. I learned that the hard way. In my book, everybody's guilty until proved otherwise. Even you, baby. What? Even you. Yeah. A Herald Tribune newspaper. Are you sure you haven't seen him since this morning, Doris?
2: What are you doing? Absolutely nothing. Someone came in here and shot him, called the police, I insist. Maybe... Why? Maybe I did leave my door unlocked. Why did I do that?
1: Well, he couldn't have opened the door otherwise, could he? No. Give need the check room, please. Oh, hello. Did you, uh, do you know Mr. Emil Stoner, the producer? You do? Well, uh, tell me, did he check his hat with you this afternoon or this evening? He didn't, huh? All right, thanks. He must have carried it up here to this floor. Doris, do you have a gun?
2: I own a gun. A small twenty-five automatic. But it's not here. Where is it? I had the handle repaired, and it's been in my dressing room for a week or two.
1: I hate to do this, Doris, but I'm going to move the body away from the back of that chair. There. Yeah, three wounds. One bullet went through the upper part of the chest... Out the middle of the back. I'd say right through the heart. By the angle of the wound, he was shot while sitting down.
2: Please, Mr. Goodwin, must we stay here? I I want to give
1: this room a thorough going over. We'll go down to the lobby. I want to use that phone booth again. And, Doris, I hope... I know
2: what you're going to say. You hope that gun of mine... Is
1: still in your dressing room at the theater...
3: Nero Wolf speaking. Oh, Mr. Wolf, may I have your autograph?
1: <laughs> I'm taking a correspondence course on how to be a detective, and I think you're a wizard.
3: That's <laughs> so kind of you to say so. I would be
1: just thrilled to have your autograph on the bottom of a paycheck.
3: Why are you calling from a phone booth? What? Huh?
1: Who said I was?
3: It's obvious. There's no room tone reverberation. Uh,
1: oh, well, you shouldn't have to ask. You know everything before it happens.
3: You found the body, then. It happened just before you got there.
1: Now, look, I took the girl up to a room to be sure it was safe for her to go in, and... (laughs) Okay, okay. And there, sitting in a big leather chair, was... Emil Stoner. Shot three times with a small caliber gun, dead about an hour. One shot went through the body from the upper part of the chest to the middle of back. Therefore, he was shot while sitting down. The killer was standing, huh? I'm listening. Oh. Well, his left hand was clutching a horoscope folder... And between the index and second finger of the right hand was an unlit cigarette with a monogram on it, PK. Emil Stoner is bald, but there was no hat in the room. However, on the piano was his briefcase, and on top of it, a 4 o'clock afternoon edition of the Herald Tribune.
3: Better look in the briefcase, Archie. No weapon?
1: No, no weapon. But Doris Murray says she owns a twenty-five caliber automatic, and it's in her dressing room at the theater. Also, she claims she hadn't seen Stoner since this morning.
3: You found no empty shells about the floor? None. What did you do with the bullet? What bullet? The one which passed through his chest and lodged in the back of the leather chair. Are you there? Boss, I'm a very stupid fella. Stop bragging. The bullet. Boss,
1: there ain't no hole in the back of that chair. I just realized it. Maybe he was standing up. Ah, then the killer must have been on stilts.
3: Archie, let us pretend. Only pretend. That you're very observant. Now proceed to Paula Kenyon's apartment, just down the hall, you said, and see what she knows without divulging the fact that Stoner is dead and look sharp. My gears must be slipping. Archie, do you know what great event will be celebrated tomorrow? Yeah, my birthday. What'd you get me? Cuthbert's correspondence detective course in four easy lessons. Bye.
2: This is Paula's
1: apartment. Now, wait, so let's see if it's open. Oh, there's no one inside. Come on in. Now, look, if anyone walks in on us, we found the door open and we just came in to wait, Which huh? is the truth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh. here on the desk, we have a stack of horoscopes, Doris. And a box of Paula's monogrammed cigarettes. Mr. Goodwin. Huh?
2: This is Emil's gray fedora hat.
1: Then he was in this apartment this afternoon. What are you staring at? Oh, small pearl-handled automatic. Yes. Twenty-five caliber.
2: Yeah,
1: it's been fired very recently. We won't touch it now. Does it look like yours?
2: Archie, it is mine.
1: Yeah. Your initials?
2: I found old Jenkins, the stage doorman at the theater, to look in my dressing room. and Well, my gun isn't there.
1: Did you leave the gun out in plain view in the dressing room?
2: Yes, for several days anyway. Then I put it behind the mirror.
1: I suppose many people have seen it.
2: Then. I'm sure.
1: I hope, Doris, that your fingerprints are not the only ones on that gun.
2: If they use my gun to shoot him in my apartment, why would they bring the gun back here and leave it in plain well, sight?
1: maybe they didn't do it just that way. No? His hat's here, the gun is here, and yet he's dead in your apartment.
2: How can you answer that?
1: Well, maybe he was sitting here waiting for Paula and someone called him out and over to your place and shot him. Ah, that's no good. Doesn't make sense. Now, if he was sitting in this chair here and someone entered that door... Be... Hey. What is it? Look in the chair back. Huh. Little round hole. Start looking for some empty shells around here.
2: Could find something?
1: No, I want to make a call. He was shot with this automatic. Three shells were ejected. They certainly vanished.
3: Nero Wolf speaking.
1: Archie, I'm at Paula Kenyon's. She's not here. Found his hat, a stack of horoscopes on the desk, box of monogram cigarettes, a twenty five automatic which belongs to Miss Moray, recently fired, but not an empty shell in sight. No blood. But a single small hole in the back of the chair near the desk. Doris Moray is with me.
3: I will call in Inspector Kramer now about the body
1: and have ballistics check the bullets with the gun. And the bullet in the chair back? Did you find anything of particular
3: importance in Emil Sterner's briefcase?
1: Yes, I found.
3: Never mind. Bring the girl here at once.
1: Okay, boss. Say, don't you think I'd better wait for Paula Kenyon? Uh Uh-oh, here she is. Bye.
3: Bring her along, too, if you can. Goodbye.
2: Hello, Paula. Well, Doris, what are you doing here? I wasn't aware that I left the door unlocked. Seems to be contagious this evening. I left mine unlocked, too. Hello, Dave. Uh, Miss Kenyon, Mr. Goodwin. Hello, Doris. Hello. Archie, this is Dave Banning, the playwright.
1: How are you, Mr. Banning? How do you do? I've heard all about your new play, and I wanted to meet you. Doris thought you might be over here, and the door was ajar, so we,
0: well...
2: I just walked in. I hope you don't mind, Paula. Certainly not. I'm used to people just walking in.
0: We were here a while ago went down to the cocktail lounge for a while. When does the play
1: open, or have you cast it yet?
0: The Mr. Stoner handles that part of it. Are you a prospective investor, Goodwin?
1: Oh, I've had a number of flings in the business. Matter of fact, I expect to see Mr. Stoner tonight. You do?
2: Tonight? Here? I don't understand. What's this fencing all about? Doris, you're not just visiting me. We've hardly spoken for...
1: Oh? Is that your gun, Miss Kenyon?
2: It's yours, Doris. Yes, that's right, Paula. It was in my dressing room. When did you
1: see Mr. Stoner last?
2: I haven't seen him today.
1: I had lunch with him. Why? What hat did he wear at lunchtime, Mr. Banning? Why, the gray fedora.
2: How did it get here? That's Amos. What is this? What are you two doing here?
0: Where is Amos? Come on, cut out the
1: melodramatics. Mr. Stoner is dead. He's what? Paula. And without any further explanation, I shall have to ask you to accompany me, downtown. Police? If you will, please. They're still in the front room, boss. I'll bring them into your office when you're ready.
3: Yes, Archie. I'm sure they're all anxious to talk. They've been sitting there for an hour, now.
1: Maybe we ought to make some sort of explanation to them, huh?
3: Why? This sort of technique should work very well in this particular instance.
1: Yeah, but I don't know about that director, Rick Hunter. He may be difficult.
3: Does anyone know that you found the completed and signed contract in the briefcase? No one. hmm Good. Now we have the threat notes, the contract, the afternoon newspaper, the briefcase, the fedora hat, the gun, no ejected shells, the horoscope, the cigarette, and the two chairs. One with a small hole in it. Come in. Ah, Inspector Kramer at last. Uh, What have you?
1: Well, we covered every inch of that place and didn't find a single empty shell. There were two bullets in the body and the one that passed through him into the chair back in Paula Kenyon's place. They were all three fired from Doris Moray's little automatic.
3: Any fingerprints on the gun?
1: None but Doris Moray's.
3: Not unexpected, to say the least.
1: The bullet that was lodged in the chair in Paula's place went through his heart. Now, he was apparently shot in her room, but. Uh...
3: But how did he get into Doris Murray's place? I'll be able to explain that when we locate those three empty shells, Inspector. Bring our guests in, Archie.
1: Come in, please. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nero Wolf, Miss Paula Kenyon. Hello. Miss Doris Murray. Hello. Mr. Rick Mr. Hunter, the director. How do you do? David Banning, the playwright. How do you do?
3: Won't you be seated, please? May I present Inspector Kramer of Homicide? How do you How do, do? Inspector? Uh,
1: Mr. Wolf has asked you here to give such details as you recall which might be of assistance to him in the solution of the murder of Emil Stoner.
3: Mr. Hunter, as the director, whom did you favor as the star of your next production?
1: Why, Doris
0: Murray.
3: You have been deeply interested in Miss Murray?
0: Hasn't done me much good.
3: But you do love her? I do. And you are deeply interested in the progress of her career.
1: I am, most assuredly.
3: Did you know that Mr. Stoner had made out and signed a contract for a certain woman to play the lead in the new show? No. You knew that Doris Murray had a gun in her dressing room? Yes. You were in the hotel cocktail lounge all afternoon until you met Doris and Mr. Goodwin? Yes. And you could have seen Emil Stoner into the lobby and go to the elevator? I could. Could you prove that you never left the cocktail lounge until you met Darius and Archie? Maybe not. Did you see Mr. Stoner going to the elevator? I did. Mr. Banning, you wrote the new play. Were you in favor of Miss Murray playing the part?
0: I know. I felt Paula Kenyon was better suited for
3: it. You and Miss Kenyon are engaged to be married? Yes. Anything happened, to Mr. Stoner? You, as next in line, could assign the role as you saw fit? That's correct. Did you know that Mr. Stoner had made a final decision on the part? I did not. He didn't tell you anything about it at lunch today?
0: No, I made a strong plea for Paula.
3: You know about the gun in Miss Murray's dressing room?
0: Everyone did, apparently.
3: Very well. Uh, Miss Kenyon, did Emil Stoner visit your apartment often? Not often. We were not on too friendly terms. Did you phone him to visit you this afternoon?
2: No, who said I did?
3: No one? (laughs) I merely asked. Were you, by any chance, still in love with Emil Stoner? Now, see here. I don't appreciate that kind of talk. Just relax,
0: Mr. Banning.
2: I was not in love with Mr.
3: Stoner. That was over. You and Doris Murray were at one time very friendly. Yes. Well, I found out how two-faced she was. Emil was a fool to fall for her, but you couldn't tell him
2: anything. All she's interested in is a career.
3: You're not interested in your career, Miss Kenyon? Well, well, yes, in a way. You wanted the star part. You phoned Stoner this morning. Yes, but he said he was going to give it to her. You knew about Doris's gun? No, I did You didn't. recognized it immediately, boss.
2: Well, yes, I knew. What if I did?
3: Then you wrote these threatening notes to Miss Murray. I did not. I did not. You didn't know the contract had already been signed? No.
0: Then you still had a motive to kill him. I wrote those notes. She had nothing to do with it. You can check them on my typewriter.
3: We know, Mr. Banning. We've already
0: done it. I know how it looks, but, but Paula didn't do it. I, I knew he was coming to her place. I called him. I, I knew Paula was out. I did it.
3: If so, what did you do with the ejected shells? I threw them away. How many? Three. Oh, no, David, please don't. I don't believe you, Mr. Banning. Miss Murray, did you know the contract had been made out and signed? No. You're lying, Miss Murray. You said you didn't see Stoner this afternoon. I didn't. You called him and asked him to visit you. You did get the threat notes and they frightened you. But you didn't know they would frighten Stoner.
2: I did not phone him. Nor did I see him.
3: Yes, you did. His briefcase was on the piano. And he was there in the late afternoon because he brought with him a four o'clock edition of the Herald Tribune.
2: What if he was there? I didn't kill him.
3: He told you then about his decision. He left hurriedly. Forgot the briefcase and went to Paula's apartment to wait for her.
2: That's not true. That's not true.
3: Filled with rage, you got your gun, which you said had disappeared from your dressing room. Then calmly put it into your bag, walked across the hall, and shot him as he sat reading a horoscope. No, no, no! Archie, a handbag. Thank you. Notice. I run my finger through a hole in the corner. She fired through the bag. And see, three empty shells. No! And here's a contract made out to Paula Kenyon. Too bad, Miss Murray.
1: That's a good day's work, boss.
5: Some beer,
3: Archie.
1: Right. Say, tell me, how did Stoner, if he was shot in Paula's room, get back to Doris's room? She couldn't carry him.
3: Oh, now, Archie, that's not too difficult. He walked.
1: Shot through the heart? Impossible.
3: That's a fallacy, Archie. Our official medical records show that people have walked a block in such instances.
1: No wonder Doris was so shocked when she saw him back in her room.
3: The shooting took place after she called us, and it seemed unbelievable that anyone would leave the gun and not the ejected shells. Ergo, the gun must have been concealed when fired.
1: Yeah. Paula would have no reason to do that, because she was in her own apartment.
3: And these men are not the type who would have fired through their coats.
1: And Doris, before she started down the hall, would naturally conceal the gun, huh?
3: In a handbag. Where else?
1: Boss midnight. It's another day. (laughs) I'm a year older.
3: Yes. Mm. Cuthbert's correspondence detective course in four easy lessons. (laughs) Mm. Happy birthday, Archie. Ah.
0: I've been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolfe, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program, produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Gerald Moore as Archie Goodwin, and Jean Bates, Betty Lou Gerson, Bill Johnstone, Peter Leeds, and Vic Perrin. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolf and Archie will bring you The Case of the Party for Death. Don Stanley speaking.
4: Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There you have The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, February 2nd, 1951. The Case of the Vanishing Shells, starring Sidney Greenstreet, along with Gerald Moore. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Hamari. In our next hour, it's a drama on John Steele, Adventurer from 1950. But first, Lisa Wolf Dylan is our lyricist for learning the lyrics. Right, Lisa? That's
5: right. I've got some songs, and they all have questions in the title.
4: Questions Questions. in the title. Can you think of anything? Question. Yes.
5: Do you love
4: me? Do, you love? Love do, do you. you love me? Do you love me?
5: Do you love me? I didn't do that one, so no? we're all good. But that's a question. It is a question, but all not what right. I'm going to make. I We'll see you soon. <laughs> Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show.